chapter ten of the private soldier under washington by charles knowles bolton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten the private himself the revolutionary rank and file when their uniforms were fresh were a picture for the eye with their cocked hats decked with sprigs of green their hair white with flour their fringed hunting shirts and their leather or brown duck breeches many were boys some at the opening of the war were under sixteen with the virtues and vices of youth they were eager for adventure and every strange sight and custom made its impress upon them in the quebec expedition the wayside crosses and the chapel interiors rich in colour interested the soldiers in the march against the six nations indian superstitions and habits of life were described in almost every diary and in the southern colonies the peculiarity of slavery attracted the attention of the men from the north through travel and contact with the world there was an opportunity for the earnest soldier of good principles to widen his horizon and broaden his sympathies the yankee the dutchman and the southerner came to know more of one another some of those who could write kept diaries these journals have many references to the weird and the unusual and they show a rough humour in this respect they reflect the taste of the time privates even those who rose to the commissioned ranks spelled many words by sound when this spelling indicates peculiarities in pronunciation it gives some impression of the language of the campfire david howe of methuen was a private of the massachusetts line with all the sharpness and oddities that characterize a new england farmer in his diary there is a consistency of error which amounts to a dialect he always wrote whelped for whipped and the same tendency is evident in the use of split meaning split stimped for stent and a pecking up for picking up a new englander therefore seems to have pronounced short i as though it had the sounds of an e in get he reversed the sounds in words which properly gave short e saying ridgment for regiment git for get went instead of went lit for let etc private john white also a new englander used a for e and i so persistently that the nasal twang is very evident as in his use of sartain for certain prance for prince lev for leave sands for sins and wall for well privates howe and fisher treated r much as it is treated to-day in new england they wrote salatoga for saratoga dogstar for dorchester sorloin for sirloin yesterday for yesterday and after instead of after but where no r occurs or where it is not emphasized they made it prominent by writing for tieg in place of fatigue cartridges for cartridges always arms for arms water for water and carcel for castle other pronunciations as valuable for valuable bargon for bargain jine for join and jest for just are not uncommon to-day privateer was a stumbling block that had to be overcome in those exciting days and how bravely wrote privatesters and privatesteres to convey his meaning phrases now unused appear in diaries as lit of meaning met for to go to boston and says money an allowance for vegetables 
the impression which proper names made upon the mind of a private soldier may be inferred from his use of hushing hessians dullerway delaware vincern lincoln and marcus delafayette or delafayette it should not be forgotten however that on the whole the english language as spoken by the more educated colonists was purer than the speech of englishmen whose lives were confined to such counties as devon and yorkshire the soldiers had their own designations for their enemies and friends the british were commonly called lobsters and new recruits were it is said spoken of as the long-faced people keeping a diary in all kinds of weather with no table to write upon poor quills and thick ink and hands numb with cold or stiff from guard duty was an achievement which must command respect as the scratchy pen was driven slowly across the fibrous paper in the flickering glare of the campfire the writer with brows puckered to concentrate his thoughts and keep from his mind a babble of voices put down much that was instructive and amusing to one the sunday text was worthy of note to another the current price of shoes or the details of an execution for crime mr howe was careful to record deaths and after each name a heavy black line completed the entry as a proper mark of mourning sam hawes of wrentham was particular about the appearance of his pages and when he made a blot in his journal he added oh you nasty sloven how your book looks elijah fisher referred to above studied diligently when opportunity offered his diary in february seventeen eighty states i stays with mr wallace and follows my writing and ciphering the same as i had done the evening before for every evening from six of the o'clock till nine i used to follow my study under date of october seventeenth this quaint note appears in his book i agreed with sergeant sam whipples to stay one month with him after my time was out and so do his duty and he was to larn me to write and cipher and what other larnin would be easy it is pleasant to know that this training proved of value the next year when the absence of the captain one lieutenant and both sergeants for a time threw much of the care of the company upon his shoulders the retreat from bunker hill was mortifying to the defeated participants officers as well as men who found fault with the insufficient powder and reinforcements the americans were on a peninsula the approach to which could be commanded by a british man-of-war they did not realize that longer occupation might have induced the british to cut off their line of escape and starve them into surrender a quick defeat for which the enemy paid heavily both in lives and in prestige did more for america than possession of the defences on the hill for another night could possibly have done until a soldier acquires sufficient education to fit him for an officer's commission he was not thrown with men who heard the current news at headquarters his horizon therefore was limited and a battle far-reaching in its influence upon events meant no more to him than a chance encounter a private at the battle of long island ignorant of the critical state of the patriot cause on that memorable occasion states the facts very quietly twenty seven our army on long island have been engaged in battle with the enemy and killed and taken a good many on both sides twenty nine this night our army on long island all left it and brought all their baggage to new york 
the same soldier thus described the battle of trenton twenty six this morning at four o'clock we set off with our field pieces marched eight miles to trenton where we were attacked by a number of Husing hessians and we took a thousand of them besides killed some then we marched back and got to the river at night and got over all the hutching twenty eight this day we have been washing our things the writer declined to heed the general's entreaty to remain in service for six weeks longer drew his wages and says money and marched for home missing by two days the famous engagement at princeton the soldier's inability to comprehend the state of affairs at critical periods may account often for a seeming lack of patriotism as in the case just cited but on the other hand his ignorance kept his heart light colonel cadwallader less than a fortnight before the battle of trenton closed a letter to robert morris by saying that he had been led into a complaining tone by the damned gloomy countenance seen wherever i go except among the soldiers when given a chance the privates did their share of thinking in the execution of large plans this was a disadvantage since the machine-like corps could better be reckoned with than the body of individuals in seventeen seventy six a skirmish took place between a party of straggling soldiers and some hessians who held a rocky eminence between the termination of mount washington and king's bridge two pennsylvania privates advanced up the hill and opened fire they were soon joined by a few recruits who soon silenced the hessian guns seeing this a detachment of about fifty of the enemy set off to aid their outposts by this time the little group of volunteers numbered twenty or more without officers to consult they talked over the matter among themselves and decided to form into three divisions one to attack the rocky defences of the enemy and two to circle the position in order to fall upon it in the rear or to meet the advancing reinforcements the manoeuvre was entirely successful for the outpost retreated to avoid falling into the trap and the americans took and held the rocky stronghold until darkness came on in any large number of men some there are who will study and think for themselves ready or preparing to influence and lead but too many are indolent and heedless when mrs esther reed in seventeen eighty offered to washington the three hundred thousand six hundred and thirty-four paper dollars which the ladies of philadelphia had raised for the army she proposed to turn this sum into specie and present to each soldier two hard dollars the commander replied that he preferred a shirt for each man as money would induce drinking and discord the payment of wages often led to disorder as intimated by a private at cambridge in his remark peace with our enemy but disturbance enough with rum for our men got money yesterday rum was an article of daily consumption and its evil effects must have balanced whatever of good it did it was drunk to the health and success of the ladies to celebrate victories to encourage enlisting by fatigue parties to counteract the strain of hard work in bad weather and even more liberally when there was no object in view when taken early in the morning unmixed with water it impaired the health of the men and in long marches the hard drinker was most apt to suffer at the siege of boston sam hawes a private experienced the not unusual effects of merrymaking we turned out he says and went to the alarm post and it was very cold and we came home and there was a high go of drinking brandy and several of the company were taken not well pretty soon after 
david howe tells the story of two men at cambridge who fell to bantering one another as to who could drink the most this led to excessive drinking from which one of the men died in an hour or two upon another occasion john coleman drinked three pints of cider at one draught a feat that excited comment james mcdaniel was so eager for rum that he forged an order to obtain it to check excessive drinking spirits were allowed to be sold at one place only within the limits of each brigade and sutlers were sometimes enjoined from selling after the retreat had been sounded at sunset hard cider was much used as it still is in country towns in place of distilled liquors the story is told of a private then not over sixteen years of age who was taunted in camp with being homesick until he lost his patience and attempted to thrash his persecutor at first unsuccessful he called for quarter but receiving none he fought desperately and worsted his antagonist the affair became the talk of the company and reached the ears of the captain the two men boys they really were soon came up before their comrades to receive whatever public punishment the captain thought meet amid silence he looked sternly at the culprits angular and tall poorly clad by their province and as poorly fed youthful and perhaps a little frightened he allowed his eyes to rest on their bronzed faces for he knew them well then in the hush he said you are ordered for punishment to drink together a mug of cider after the first instant's astonishment the laughter that followed was proof that the captain knew the failings of his men sensuality is not often mentioned in the diaries or letters of the soldiers although references are not wanting stealing however was not uncommon lieutenant burton lost his cotton shirt by a bold thief and a soldier for stealing a cheese was whipped thirty lashes samuel hawes has related how in the camp near boston in october seventeen seventy five a rifleman was whipped thirty-nine stripes for stealing and afterwards he was drummed out of the camps if the infernal regions had been opened and cain and judas and sam hawes had been present there could not have been a bigger uproar swearing was a habit which washington tried in vain to check the coarse language of many of the men shocked him as it did others a clergyman referring to the new york troops who were with arnold in seventeen seventy six remarked that it would be a dreadful hell to live with such creatures forever but to suppose that there was no strong religious leaven in the army would be a mistake corporal farnsworth of groton found a young soldier with whom he could converse freely on spiritual things and said with a grateful heart i find god has a remnant in this depraved and degenerated and gloomy time while every army has its men of low principles they weigh little in the winning or losing of campaigns if the great majority are efficient and brave the americans as a pioneer people were accustomed to danger and they were familiar with firearms men might be relegated to the awkward squad to learn manners but the polish would cover a stout heart sir william johnson wrote that the british ministry must not look upon the americans as cowards who would not fight while ambury commented on their courage and obstinacy which had already astonished the officers under burgoyne a continental soldier who had been at bunker hill remarked that he would to god that his people had as good courage in the spiritual warfare as they had in the temporal 
not to multiply statements the testimony of a tory of new york may be given as final evidence of reasonable courage shown by the american troops commenting on the fighting in new jersey in june seventeen eighty he remarked of the rebels they were mostly militia and stood and fought better than ever before no doubt the militia accomplished all that could be fairly expected of men who did not make war a profession they were subject to panic but fought well when they knew the land and the purpose of the commander and were also sure that no trap awaited them a saying in the army that gates loved the militia because they would never bring him under fire is a commentary on the private as well as the general but men who were familiar with militia knew what to expect dr john witherspoon of new jersey speaking in congress in seventeen seventy six reminded the members that at the battle of preston militia ran like sheep at falkirk in seventeen forty six the speaker himself saw troops behave fifty times worse than the americans had behaved at long island washington said of his own troops in seventeen seventy six place them behind a parapet a breastwork stone wall or anything that will afford them shelter and from their knowledge of a firelock they will give a good account of their enemy but i am as well convinced as if i had seen it that they will not march boldly up to a work nor stand exposed in a plain a few months later he wrote being fully persuaded that it would be presumption to draw out our young troops into open ground against their superiors both in number and discipline i have never spared the spade and pickaxe i confess i have not found that readiness to defend even strong posts at all hazards which is necessary to derive the greatest benefits from them washington wrote these words after the battle of long island five days later lord percy wrote the moment the rebels fired our men rushed on them with their bayonets and never gave them time to load again i think i may venture to assert that they will never again stand before us in the field whether this was due to cowardice or inexperience he did not assert but kerwin the loyalist held to the view that the inability of untrained troops to face regulars in the open was no proof of lack of bravery it has been said that washington's strength as a commander lay in his readiness to learn a lesson from experience he discovered very soon the value of earthworks and persisted in their use without regard to expressions of disapproval from european officers in braddock's campaign his advice to seek protection behind trees had met with disfavor and now lee spoke slightingly of hastily made defences and others considered them destructive of manliness and courage john adams represented a certain public impatience when he wrote the practice we have hitherto been in of ditching round about our enemies will not always do we must learn to use other weapons than the pick and the spade the motives which controlled enlistment are not easily defined patriotism adventure money glory all have their weight in determining human action a frenchman who spent a year in america reported that all the recruits were mercenaries led by a few patriotic officers so general a charge needs no serious answer but it may be stated as self-evident that the poorer the soldier of any rank the more dependent he will be upon the compensation which he receives for his services the rank and file were no doubt more in need of money than their officers when it did not come even in the form of paper they mutinied their officers fortunately could resign 
the charge could not have been true in seventeen seventy five later as it became evident that farmers with children to be supported were unable to remain in the army their places were taken by young men who made war a profession and expected its rewards the heads of families soon found that service in the army meant starvation for those at home through the demands of producers following the example set by avaricious retailers the price of necessities rose beyond the reach of the soldiers wives said a student of the times at this rate what will become of thousands of people who depended on their absent friends in the army for a subsistence those who having no home ties could go into the army for a small bounty and moderate wages were carried along by the tide what the married men required the young men seeing their opportunity were led to demand claude blanchard visited the army under washington at peekskill in 1781 to his eye the soldiers marched well but handled their arms badly there were he relates some fine-looking men also many who were small and thin and even some children twelve or thirteen years old they have no uniforms and in general are badly clad it is not difficult to understand the physical condition of men who had clung to army life through its few bright days and its many days of privation when one recalls the winter at valley forge it was there that james thatcher while walking with washington among the soldiers huts heard voices echoing through the open crevices between the logs no pay no clothes no provisions no rum and the few who flitted from hut to hut were covered only with dirty and ragged blankets the men were supposed to make as good an appearance on guard and on parade as was possible they were ordered to have their beards close shaved their clothes and shoes cleaned and their faces and hands washed when an event of importance occurred the men powdered their hair south carolina troops in seventeen seventy six were instructed to have their hair properly trimmed up and tied for cap wearing but without side locks pay for the barbers was obtained by stoppages from the wages of the men in our day powder and long hair seem more suited to a ballroom than a battle decimated army the convenience and cleanliness of short hair did not apparently receive the serious attention of commanding officers sullivan's army three thousand strong returned from the indian country in tatters with the remaining parts of their garments hanging in streamers behind them yet they had sprigs of evergreen in their caps and their heads were as white as a wagon-load of flour could make them the incongruity of the spectacle convulsed the officers and moved the chaplain to forget his gravity the language of the private was not that of a mercenary wright of the new jersey line frequently referred in his journal to the philistines meaning the enemy and commented upon the diabolical rage of the parliamentary tools on bunker hill then held by the british another private a massachusetts man referred to the wicked enemy and a less restrained writer to the butchers belonging to the tyrant of great britain private mcmurton of maryland referred to general gage during the siege of boston as that crocodile and second pharaoh namely tom gage corporal farnsworth a very religious man spoke of the burning of charleston by that infernal villain thomas gage and to the possession of boston by our unnatural enemies 
plain speaking and independence of thought were characteristic of a people less bound by class distinctions and therefore less accustomed to obey than those of equal educational and property qualifications in the old world these traits made their impress upon events said governor trumbull the pulse of a new england man beats high for liberty his engagement in the service he thinks purely voluntary therefore in his estimation when the time of his enlistment was out he thinks himself not holden without further engagement this feeling accounts for a serious reduction of the army besieging boston in the winter of seventeen seventy five seventy six as company after company broke camp and marched away the troops hissed showing unmistakably that many disapproved of the action personal loyalty sometimes found its expression in hand-to-hand -hand encounters between the ardent patriots in the army and those whose zeal was open to question a new englander it is said felt no hesitation when meeting a half-hearted nova scotia volunteer popularly called a holy ghoster in knocking him down on the spot without pretext or preliminary explanation the following picture of the private soldier singing as he suffered is by a surgeon at valley forge he studied the details day by day the humorous and pathetic the light and the shade see the poor soldier when in health with what cheerfulness he meets his foes and encounters every hardship if barefoot he labors through the mud and cold with a song in his mouth extolling war and washington if his food be bad he eats it notwithstanding with seeming content blesses god for a good stomach and whistles it into digestion but harky patience a moment there comes a soldier his bare feet are seen through his worn shoes his legs nearly naked from the tattered remains of an only pair of stockings his breeches not sufficient to cover his nakedness his shirt hanging in strings his hair dishevelled his face meagre his whole appearance pictures a person forsaken and discouraged he comes and cries with an air of wretchedness and despair i am sick my feet lame my legs are sore my body covered with this tormenting itch my clothes are worn out my constitution is broken my former activity is exhausted by fatigue hunger and cold i fail fast i shall soon be no more and all the reward i shall get will be poor will is dead there was another side to the war picture enthusiasm and excitement enabled men bred to a city life to endure exposure to the dead of winter that under ordinary circumstances must have proved fatal dr benjamin rush has called attention to the apparent effect of the victory at trenton in seventeen seventy six upon some fifteen hundred philadelphia militia during a period of five weeks or more these men unaccustomed to hardship slept in barns and upon the bare ground with a record of only two cases of sickness and one of death the plain living and comparatively regular hours of camp life are said to have saved some men from consumption and other diseases while the change of environment from the too frequent irritation and pettiness of village life delivered nervous persons from their own misfortunes and freshened their minds two questions arise in connection with the men of the revolution how many served against great britain and what became of the survivors after the war had closed 
general knox in a report to congress attempted to answer the first of these but his tables are hopelessly confusing since they are based upon the number of men to be enlisted rather than upon the number of those who engaged themselves and upon records of the years of their service rather than upon the number of men performing this service by the roughest kind of calculation the total number of men who served as continentals or as militiamen during any part of the eight years of the war must have been far in excess of two hundred and thirty two thousand the usual estimate based upon knox's tables many of these men died of wounds or disease and many more returned to their homes broken in health and without suitable occupation the names of officers and privates who received pensions have been recorded by the government from time to time mention should be made first of a list giving one thousand seven hundred and thirty pensioners whose names were on the rolls june one eighteen thirteen again of another giving about sixteen thousand names in eighteen twenty of a third three thick volumes a report from the secretary of war in obedience to resolves of the senate of june fifth and thirtieth eighteen thirty four and march three eighteen thirty five and of a fourth list a thin volume which appeared in eighteen forty portraits of several aged pensioners may be seen in e b hilliard's work on the last men of the revolution and one of ralph farnham called the last survivor of the battle of bunker hill will be found in c w clarence's biographical sketch of him samuel downing a private of the new hampshire line was the last surviving revolutionary pensioner under the general acts which placed all state and national pensioners and finally all men who had served nine months on the rolls he died february eighteen eighteen sixty nine at the age of one hundred and seven the last survivor placed on the rolls by special act of congress was daniel f bakeman of cataraugus county new york who died april fifth eighteen sixty nine at the age of one hundred and nine as late as june thirty eighteen ninety nine four widows of soldiers of the war appeared on the pension rolls in the preceding pages officers have been quoted as authorities on the rank and file it would hardly do to quote seriously the opinions which a private at the age of one hundred and two held in regard to his superiors but a line from downey's observations on each of the great names of the war may nevertheless not be out of place of arnold a bloody fellow he was he didn't care for nothing he'd ride right in it was come on boys twasn't go boys there wasn't any waste timber in him he was a stern-looking man but kind to his soldiers they didn't treat him right but he ought to have been true of gates gates was an old granny-looking fellow of washington oh but you never got a smile out of him he was a nice man we loved him they'd sell their lives for him alexander milliner another aged pensioner said of arnold arnold was a smart man they didn't sarve him quite straight of washington he was a good man a beautiful man he was always pleasant never changed countenance but wore the same in defeat and retreat as in victory 
pension legislation relating to the revolution was summarized by the commissioner in his report of october nineteenth eighteen fifty seven the first general act march eighteen 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 was for the benefit of officers and men in need of assistance who had served in the continental army or navy to the close of the war or for nine consecutive months and allowed to privates eight dollars a month the act of may fifteen eighteen twenty eight gave to privates in the continental line who had served to the close of the war the amount of their full pay whether in need of help or not the act of june seventh eighteen thirty two gave to all persons who had done any military service in the revolutionary war for six months a fourth of full pay with increase varying according to the terms of service up to two years these acts were followed by what was known as the widow's acts the total expenditure to the year eighteen fifty seven exceeded sixty million dollars or less than one-half the yearly pension appropriation now made on account of later wars to state the comparison in another way the civil war the chief source of the pension roll in forty years has cost in pensions forty times what the revolutionary war cost in eighty years this is a commentary on the growth of the country from seventeen eighty three to eighteen sixty five in population territory and wealth and perhaps also on an increasing willingness to accept public aid in the years immediately following the close of the war the veterans too often were obliged to depend wholly or in part upon friends or children for support they went from town to town telling their stories at the village inn or by the fireside to the boys and girls of that time who have passed them on to our own day the hardest misfortunes came in the summer of seventeen eighty three elijah fisher's experiences are recorded in his journal and as he had served for several years as a private soldier they may be taken as a fair picture of the trials of the less fortunate enlisted men he left the old jarsey prison ship april ninth seventeen eighty three and landed in new york city that night he slept at the city hall tavern where he was well treated and provided with a shirt he continues the tenth ah leaves mr franceps and so goes about the city to see it and went into numbers of their shops and would say your servant gentlefolks i wish you much joy with the news of peace i hope it will be a long and lasting one some of them would be very well pleased with it and would wish me the same and others would be on the other hand and said that their circumferences poor at present but now they hoped they would be better i said what then do you think of us poor prisoners that have neither money nor friends and have been long absent from our homes then some of them would pity us and would give us something some half a dollar some a quarter some less some nothing but frowns the next afternoon fisher sailed for boston he arrived in due time and the story proceeds the fourteenth i leaves mr brimmer's at the plains i goes through brookline and into old cambridge from there to the tin hills and then to charleston and then cross the ferry into boston but there was so many that come from the army and from sea that had no homes that would work for little or nothing but their victuals that i could not find any employment so stays in boston till the seventeenth in the meanwhile one day after i had been inquiring and had been on board several of their vessels but could get into no business neither by sea nor land 
the sixteenth i come down by the market and sits down all alone almost discouraged and begun to think over how that i had been in the army what ill success i had met with there and also how i was so wronged by them i worked for at home and lost all last winter and now that i could not get into any business and no home which you may well think how i felt but then come into my mind that there were thousands in worse circumstances than i was and having food and raiment i ought to be content and that i had nothing to reflect on myself and i resolved to do my endeavour and leave the event to providence and after that i felt as contented as need to be with this quaint narrative of the troubles that fell to the lot of the revolutionary veteran and the consolation that were his also this record of the private soldier closes he was a humble instrument in a great cause he profited by an opportunity that does not come in every generation whether france or washington or the patriot army contributed most to bring about the peace of paris in seventeen eighty three is of little moment france and washington long ago had their due it has been the purpose of these pages to give the private soldier under washington whatever share in the victory was his by right of the danger privation and toil that he endured end of chapter ten end of the private soldier under washington by charles knowles bolton